Hey, good morning, Veritas Church. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to be jumping into uh, the Bible here together. Uh, some of you are, are newer or coming back or whatever. We're glad you're here. We're in the middle of a series. We're almost done, actually, but we're going through Romans 6, 7, and 8, and right now we're in Romans chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible, you can make your way to Romans chapter 8. Um, it's been just an incredible, I don't know, a, a deep, uh, fulfilling drink of hope, I feel like, as we've been going through Romans 6, 7, and 8. So I, I hope that that continues this morning. But um, here's the deal, you guys, just a little anecdotally before we get into the text. So today is my mom's birthday. My mom turns uh, 96 today, and uh, and she's she's with us through the weekend and taking her out to eat, taking her, I mean, you... <laughs> You'd think that she's like my sister instead of my mother at 96, but going all around. But we had this moment around the dinner table last night. Somebody asked her, they said, man, in your almost 100 years of being on this earth, like what's the most exciting thing that you've experienced? What's the best thing you've experienced? Okay, so just put yourself in the mindset of 100 years ago, right? So she's lived through getting electricity into her house indoor plumbing into her house, you know, now she's using an iPad, like all these things are going through my mind as she's sitting there, you know, pondering, and then she sits for a minute and she goes, Corwin, which is my father's name, what, what is the most exciting thing that you've experienced? She has been a widow now for over 30 years, and the thing that comes out of her mouth, of all the things over 100 years, my husband. And I'm telling you, here's what I want to say to all of you parents. Give your children that gift that I received last night from my 96-year-old mother, right? Here I am, like, I, that never even occurred to me that she would say that. I'm thinking telephone, you know? But she mentions my father's name. I'm just saying, parents, give your kids that gift that your kids know that actually the most important thing that is true of your life is your spouse. Anyway, that did it for me, man. I'm like, that's the greatest gift she could have ever given me. It's her birthday. Anyway, but back to, you know, if there's happy land. Uh, we come back to waking up into a world, right? Like I woke up to, like you woke up to this morning and news of wars in Ukraine and droughts and fires everywhere, right? And political uprisings, whatever, economic, uh, you know, tensions, whatever personal things that you're going through. We wake up into that kind of world. And, and it's just easy to get down, you guys, and legit. This is legit stuff going on in, in the world and in your life. It's legit. But it's easy even for God's people. We get done singing these exhilarating songs, and it's easy to all of a sudden that, that fades away, and we're back to just being pretty down, right? And then here's what happens. I open my Bible, and God starts changing my mind about stuff. This just happened this last week. I'm, I'm going through the Bible with some buddies, and, and uh, I think it was last Wednesday. We are also reading through the, the book of Romans, and we got to Romans chapter 15, and I read this verse. It's a prayer that he's, right before he, he drops the pen and, and ends the book, he prays this prayer for the Roman Christians. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You guys, that prayer, I have been just meditating on that prayer ever since I read it a few days ago. Has there ever been a time, you guys, where you have needed, and maybe even more, where our world needs this to be prayed over and over and over, right? May the God of hope fill you with joy, peace. Look at those, hope, joy, peace. And then he comes back to overflowing with hope, right? But it's not because you're gonna, you know, kind of bear down and use some grit and and just kind of get that peace and that joy out. No, no, no. It comes, how does it come to us? By the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not natural at all. The most natural thing in the world right now is to be hopeless. The most natural thing in the world is to not have peace, to be caught up in, in all the frantic, you know, news. That's the most natural thing. The supernatural thing that only the Holy Spirit can bring through the truth of the scriptures is hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans 8 actually is, is really all about. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to do supernatural stuff like bring, bring hope to us. And guys, I, I, I'm saying, I, I've been praying that, that God would really use this text in your life and in my life this morning, but even more, then almost as conduit, it would flow through you into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into this world, into this city, onto this campus, right? That's what I'm praying, that God does something really supernatural in us so that it would spontaneously flow out because I think the world could really use this stuff. Okay, so we're in Romans chapter 8. Last week, uh, Mark gave an epic little parable about a Yugo and uh, you're just going to have to go back and, and pick that up. There's no way I could recap that. I couldn't do it ever. That's an amazing gift he has to find ways to take a Yugo and build it in Romans 8. Anyway, so go back and listen to that. But now we're at uh, verse 12, okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 12. And these first couple of verses we're going to look at are actually a little bit of a recap, a, a quick recap of everything he's been doing from chapter 6 all the way till now in chapter 8. So look what he says, verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters... We're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because, look, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's basically, in a quick bullet point recap, stop living. He's speaking to Christians. Stop living as if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Stop living as if you're still just mortal flesh, as if you don't have the Maserati engine dropped into your Yugo, okay? Stop living as if that's not true. Stop living as if you don't have the Holy Spirit, that something very supernatural has happened to you. Stop living that way. You know, if you just, I'm telling you, Christian, if you just decide to lean back into your determination and your grit, right, I'm telling you, you will have a life that reeks of death. That's what he's saying in these verses. You will have a life that reeks of death. Because one of two things will happen. Either you're going to keep trying and trying on your own and grit and determination and will like flesh. Like I'm going to do this and just keep failing miserably. And I'm telling you what you become because we know these people. You become like this empty shell of a person. The waves of disappointment, the waves of never achieving everything that you imagined that you could do on your own, just keep, you know, crushing the shores of your life, eroding you to the point where you just become like this empty shell. It's just like death, living death. 
Conversely, if you happen to experience some level of achievement and actually by your grit and determination, you start actually crushing it, you reek of death to everybody around you, (laughs) right? Because we know these people too. There's self-applause, right? There's self-congratulations. Not only the people that they've stepped on and crushed on their way to achieving everything that they wanted to in the flesh, reeks of death. He's saying, don't go that way. Don't go the way of the flesh. Self-determination, self-grit, accomplishment, because it just reeks of death. But you know what life in the Holy Spirit brings? We just looked at it earlier, too, out of Romans 15. Hope and joy and peace. In fact, look at verse 11, the verse right above chapter 12. I mean, verse 12. Uh, Isn't that amazing? Verse 11 comes right before verse 12. I know. You pay a lot of money for me to give you those insights. No. Verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, okay, if it's true, And it is. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. He's not saying we'll bring you to life someday, resurrection life. No, he's saying right now there's life flowing through you by the Holy Spirit that is in you. And that is true. And so stop trying to go back and live as if you don't have the Holy Spirit. So before we dig a little deeper, I just want you to lock in on this. Understand that the assumption is that, Christian, you can, almost like a toggle switch, turn off the power of the Holy Spirit and start leaning again on your own self-determination in your own flesh. Just understand that is an absolute possibility, and some of you have experimented with that a lot. All of a sudden, just acting as if you don't have the Spirit. He, he, he says this, obligate, we're not obligated to the flesh, because sometimes we have this feeling like we're obligated to just bear down and, and guts through it, right? And you know what? Some of this is bad parenting, okay? And I'm saying bad parenting like me. So here's what we do from the earliest days. We teach our children grit, determination, and you get it. Here's what happened. I was thinking about this, and I thought about one of the books that I used to read to my kids. Some of you have done the same, The Little Engine That Could. Remember this? The little engine that could. This is actually the very version of that book that I would, ours would be all tattered and torn and everything because I read it so often to my kids. But remember, the, there's all these big, strong engines, and they're looking at that train that needs to go up and over the mountain, and they're like, oh, man, no way. I can't do it. I'm not, I can't do it. I don't have it. And then there's the little engine, you know, with the little rosy cheeks. And the little re- engine says, I think I can, right? And so they hook that train, and she starts going up the mountain. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And pretty soon, I think I can. I think I can. You know, up and over the mountain, right? You remember that story? Like, so we're teaching our children from the earliest ages, you can do it. You get enough grit. You get enough determination. You just say, I think I can. I think I can. Okay. Bad parenting. Because here's a fact check. No, you can't. No, you can't, little Hugo. You can't do it on your own. You can repeat, I think I can, all day long, and you know what it's going to bring? Emptiness, failure, disappointment, fear, because now there's another mountain. I don't think I can get over that one either, right? Here's what I'm saying. No, you can't. What we need is a big, deep gulp of truth of what the Holy Spirit can do for us that we cannot do on our own. Okay, so that's what this text is all about. Lean into the Holy Spirit, that absolute 
power that we have available to us as Christians. So the very first truth, you guys, and it's a gorgeous one, is that we are adopted. Drink deeply of this truth. Look at verse 14. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to go back again, right back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirits that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Guys, we are adopted. This is one of the most beautiful, rich truths that you're ever going to discover as you read through the Bible. And there's just so much packed into these handful of verses that I had to reduce it down to just these quick bullet points. Okay, I'm just going to give you five quick touch points, and then you can spend the rest of the week taking a deeper dive in it. But the first thing, we are led, okay, all those led by God's Spirit. First thing is we're led, not dragged. Like the, the contrast is this sonship, adoption, versus the tyranny of slavery, right? Slaves don't get led anywhere. They get dragged places. They get pushed places, coerced places. No, no, no. You're exchanging all that for a father that leads you. Leads you like I do my grandchildren. It's time to go across the busy road to get to the park, you know. And so you take them by the hand, not dragging, not pushing, leading them gently and watching protectively for them, right? It's, it's this beautiful imagery of adoption. We are led like a father taking a child's hand, like Psalm 23 language comes just, just pouring into this, right? This shepherd leading and guiding and watching for the bad guys on your behalf and sometimes in beautiful valleys and serene, you know, ponds, sometimes through difficult valleys, but even then he's leading, he's guiding. It's just that whole idea, you're led because you're a child and you don't have a slave master, you've got a father taking you by the hand. Now, don't, don't get this being led by the Spirit and take it to weird places, okay? <laughs> People get really weird. You know what? They walk up to, you know, if they're a single guy, walk up to a gal and say, you know, God led me to marry you. I'm sure I'm being led by the Spirit right now. You're going to be my wife. No, don't. I'm not even kidding. That stuff happens, right? People, I'm being led to, and they fill in the blank with something they want on their own. Don't get weird with this, right? To be led by the Spirit. Jesus already told us, like back in John 16, that the Spirit of God leads us into all, what? Truth. And all truth. He's leading us by, by the Scriptures, but we're being led along and being taught with beautiful, gentle wisdom, but not coerced, not pushed not dragged, we are led in all truth by this Father because of the Holy Spirit. Second quick bullet point, we're sons. Now, he'll use the word sons, daughters, and children all kind of interchangeably because it's just this whole spirit of being adopted as his children. You guys, in the first century when this was written, adoption in the Roman Empire was actually a really noble thing. In fact, Caesar Augustus, who was the Caesar when Jesus was born, Many historians would say maybe the greatest leader of, of all history, right? Now, a lot of barbarism going on, a lot of bad stuff that happened, but, but one of the most achieving leaders in history was adopted by Julius Caesar 
in order that he could give him everything, give him the greatest empire on the planet, okay? It was, a, it was a noble thing. In fact, to be adopted was often to be put above even birth children and that kind of thing. He's bringing this idea of adoption in to say, man, it is a glorious thing. In fact, e- even in my own life, um, so I've got a, a picture of James and Chloe. So, so these two kids, James and Chloe, on your far left, those two kids were some of the kids that Teresa and I were pr- privileged to be able to foster care we did foster care for many years, and they came to us uh, very tiny. In fact, Chloe was only nine months old when we got her, and they had eating disorders already as such little ch- had been go- They'd gone through so much, just didn't even know how to function with basic skills like eating, and we had to care for them a lot. And then as, as it became clear that there wasn't going to be a, a possible family reunification for them, then all of a sudden... They were up for adoption, and well, these are some of our dear friends, Rusty and Amy, that didn't think they'd maybe ever be able to have children, and now through our friendship and through the foster care system, they were able to adopt. I still remember, you know, taking, like, I remember taking James back to teach Rusty how to give him a bath, and Rusty's like, I, can you just do it once first while I, you know, like, no idea, and now to see what God has done in unifying this family, they are just the most glorious, fun, we get pictures of them just having a blast, I'm just saying, Adoption is one of the most beautiful, beautiful gifts that we get to watch and witness, right? And he's bringing that here into this text to say, hey, Christians, God chose you. Like, he wasn't even just forced to have you, (laughs) like birth children, you know? Like, No, he chose to take you in. You're, You're a gift. Like, he came after you, and it's just this glorious, so... We're led, we're we're children, we're sons. Next thing, we never have to fear that we're like not gonna make it. Like somehow we'll get into disfavor at some point. No, no fear. He says, no, don't fall back into fear. Fear is a thing of the past. Will I ever like please that master that's over me? No, this is a father that loves you. There's no fear at all. There is nothing that Seth, Audrey, Colin, Graham, my children, there's nothing that those four will ever have to worry about that will somehow cause me to not love them anymore, right? I'm their father. I will love Seth, Audrey, Colin, and Graham till my dying breath, their dying breath, whatever. It's, it's unbreakable. He's saying, don't fall back into fear. And it's not your grit. It's not your determination. You're going to have ups, downs, whatever. Your father loves you with an unconditional love. Like Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't look at you with condemnation at all, ever, because he loves you. Man, perfect love, John, John says this back in 1 John, perfect love drives out fear. That's the kind of love you have. It's 1 John 4. This next one is just super sweet. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Guys, we get to cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, so here, here's the significance of that. Father is like the title for your dad. You know, we say dad or father or whatever. That's, that's the title. But Abba, the reason that that's just translated Abba is that's the Aramaic word. That, that would have been the street language, the tribal language that Jesus used, that many of the apostles would have used. They knew Greek they knew Hebrew, but their kind of tribal tongue, the tongue that they would normally just use in the most familiar way was Aramaic. <clears throat> and when they called out to 
their father, they would cry, Abba, like daddy. He says, you know what, that's the level of connection you have. You're going to use that beautiful, familiar family name, Abba, when you cry out. Like, I love being called grandpa. Normally, it's grandpa, but Coco, that is my granddaughter that's part of our church family here, she calls me Papa. I don't know why. She just chose to call me Papa. And I love grandpa. That's a good title. It's, it works, you know, for everybody. But all of a sudden, when I hear Papa, you know, I don't, just, like, she chose that own little, for me, you know what I mean? That's Abba. When you cry, Abba, Father, it's like, it's like it warms your father's heart. It's this beautiful, deep, right? Look at verse 16 again. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Like when you cry out, Abba, there's something deep in your soul that just you feel the connection. Look, I, I wish I could theologically explain this. There's no objective theological like placeholder for this. It is so subjective and so glorious. When you cry out, Abba, Father, your spirit senses the connection that the Holy Spirit gives you with the Father that you're just settled into this fatherhood that you have with him. Isn't that glorious? You just know it's true. John 10, right, where Jesus says, look, my sheep hear my voice, right? I know them. They follow me. They know my voice. You know his voice, right? It's because the Holy Spirit. That's not natural. That's a supernatural thing that goes on. We got to keep going. You, you, you should pull over and park on that one this week and just cry out, Abba, Father. We've got little time, so let's keep going. Heirs, he says. And if children were heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, all that he has is ours. The way, you know, that Julius Caesar gave everything to Caesar Augustus, inherited the whole kingdom, we have gained an incredible coming kingdom that will blow everybody's minds. Blow our minds. First Corinthians 2 says, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart could even conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. That kingdom that you have inherited, you don't even understand. It's like a will that gets unfolded and you didn't even know all the stuff that was about to be handed to you. That's the kind of heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Like everything that this whole world is moving toward is all yours. <laughs> it's just, you, you can't, I can't words escape me to try to wrap around this unbelievable truth of all that we have being adopted. I said there were five things. Actually, you're going to get a bonus one. Here's the sixth one. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So adoption means all these glorious things and more that I didn't even bring up, but it also means suffering. Being adopted doesn't mean that we escape suffering. In fact, quite the opposite. Being adopted immediately points to the fact that you will also have suffering. Because if you're connected with Christ, look at what he does there. Coerce with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Check this out, you guys. Do you know, I, I did not know this until this week as I was studying through. There is only one time in our Bibles that we have recorded where Jesus himself cries out, Abba, Father. Only one time. And it's really significant when we see him do it. It's in Mark chapter 14. And if you remember what happens toward the end of the Gospel of Mark, 
He's heading toward the cross. And so in verse 32, it says, Then they came to a place called Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, Hey, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. Verse 33 of, of chapter 14, He began to get deeply distressed and troubled, and he said to them, I'm deeply grieved, deeply grieved to the point of death. The grief itself at this point, guys, is what he's saying is going to drive him to death. He's overwhelmed. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little further, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. Look, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. The one and only time we have Jesus crying out, Abba, Father, is when he was saying, Lord, come on. You, you wouldn't, I don't have to do this, right? You could make this go away, right? God, you're the God of the universe. Can't you just take this? I don't want to do this. Abba. Like he's going back to when he was two and could just barely, you know, verbalize Abba. Nevertheless, I trust you because you're my father. You've been leading me, protecting me. I love you. I know how much you love me. Abba, I'll go where you lead me. Don't miss the significance that he drops suffering right here because we are co-heirs with Christ, which means we will suffer as Christ did, which also means we will be glorified as Christ is glorified, right? This is an inseparable link. I'm going to expand it even more next week, by the way, in that glorious text, Romans 8, the last half, that we may be glorified with him, but first comes the suffering. So we are adopted, right? But it doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. But here's what it does mean. I want to look real quick at the next verses in the last moments we have here. Verse 18, because being adopted doesn't mean you're going to escape suffering. It does mean we're going to be glorified, and it means we have hope for the future. Look at verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time actually aren't even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. The creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to futility. Look, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, but in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also, we groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, now look at how many times you can talk about hope. In this hope we were saved. But hope that is not seen is not hope, is, that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he already sees? No. Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Okay, it, some of you are in a real kind of crisis of difficulty right now. And if that's true, if you're somebody that's really going through crisis, I, I think that you, you should actually memorize verse 18 this week. That verse right there is, man, can set you free. I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. You should memorize that and believe that and take it deep into your soul. Let it be an anchor for you. But just, just know what he's saying, though, in, in, as he keeps going from verse 18 through the rest of the verses that we just read. Guys, 
this world, even at its best, even at its best, pales compared to what it was meant to be. And in fact, we have been doing our best in our sinfulness, humans, to erode and vandalize and corrupt this world to the point where he personifies the world as saying it's just groaning under the pain of what our sin, the earth earth didn't sin, we sinned. But it just kind of gets dragged into the whole sinful thing (laughs) of of us. And so the earth is just groaning, waiting to be rebirthed, waiting to be freed from sin, waiting to to be free of of the vandalism and the the corruption that we, we have brought and when does this happen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read for you from Revelation chapter 21. This is when that happens. This is when finally the earth will be free. It says in Revelation 21, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he'll live with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain, no more. Because that previous, previous things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Everything. There's like, oh, I can't wait for that day. Everything is made new, including even this world. Not just us, tears wiped away, but even earth itself. So a really a, a dear, dear friend of mine is going through some real suffering right now. And I was reading through this passage. And there's just no immediate end in sight for my friend. In fact, the immediate future looks like more suffering. And it gave me a whole lot of comfort to know that her present suffering, as truly suffering as it is, is going to end. It is. One day, she is going to understand the freedom from pain in ways that most of us won't even be able to appreciate. And so I started thinking about this even more. And I started thinking, guys, the extent of her groaning and pain is actually matched with the delirious laughter and dancing that she will experience when that pain is removed. Does that make sense? I, I, be- I, I, re- I believe this. Like, The extent at which you understand suffering, when it gets displaced with fulfilled joy and hope, your capacity then to experience that joy, it will be more exhilarating for her than for some of us who haven't experienced that level of pain. And it gave me so much hope. Like, it was fun to be able to share that with her. You know what I mean? Like, I believe this with all my heart. I know in the immediate... That's what he's saying. In the immediate, you don't see it. But it's true. It's real. It's it's actually going to happen. And that future hope of what God will absolutely bring to pass pours back into patience. He calls it patience. But patience, don't, don't think of patience as meaning like, oh, okay, now that makes me feel good all over. Not that like, it's perseverance. In fact, the word can sometimes be translated perseverance like, Even while you're going through the suffering, you persevere because you know what the end goal is going to be. And that that pulls you forward, right? I I can do this because this present suffering isn't worth compared 
to what is yet coming to me, and that's going to pull me through the suffering, that future hope, because I trust my heavenly Father that has me by the hand and is leading me to that place. That's a glorious truth, you guys. That paragraph right there is a glorious, glorious paragraph. Last thing as we wrap up. Adoption also means something really incredible, that we are never, ever, ever alone, no matter what we're going through. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we don't know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You're never alone. If you're a Christian and you're going through suffering, you are never alone. And here's the deal. Even when it comes to your prayer time, you get to the point in suffering where you don't even know what you should be praying for. Like, am I being selfish right now? Am I not? And it's not just, oh, Lord, relieve me of my suffering. Then you start thinking of the other people that are impacted by your suffering. You're praying for them. Oh, am I being a burden to them? And it gets to the point... All of this stuff gets so confusing in your own head that sometimes when we're in the midst of suffering, we just stop praying altogether, right? Because we're like, you know what? I, I am so spent. I'm so overwhelmed. I, I don't even know how to pray. And get this, you guys. This, <laughs> oh, the praying doesn't stop when you do because the Holy Spirit just picks it up and keeps going and, in fact, prays even better than you pray. <laughs> Because he knows your heart and your circumstance even better than you do. And he knows the heart of the Father far better than you do. And so when your weakness has caused you to even fail in your praying, he's like, oh, that's okay, it's okay. I got you. And he prays on our behalf. Puts words. Now, those words don't utter through our lips. The Holy Spirit and the Father, they got it going. They don't need, <laughs> right? This is, he just starts praying on your behalf. Well, you're just weak, and the little engine that could is back down at the bottom of the hill, right? Because he's like, yeah, but I can. I got this. Because you're his saint. Look at that. You're his saint. You're not a miserable failure. I can't even pray. Yeah, I know, but you're his saint. You're his child. It's his joy to pray with and for you. You are not alone. So guys, today, Jesus is looking directly at us through this text, every one of us. And he's saying, come to me, all of you who are weak, all of you who are weary. Jesus is just screaming out through this text, come to me because I want to give you rest. It's not going to come through your power or your strength. He's saying, I want to take that. I love you. You're my son. You are my daughter. Come to me. What we're going to do as a result of this text, I'm so glad for this, is we're going to take communion together. This is the Christian's most bold declaration of our weakness and his strength, our inability and his complete power and ability to do what we can't do on our own is communion. So if you'll stand with me, what I'd love to do is pray with us together and then And then we'll take communion. But will you stand and then let's just get into a posture of, of prayer. Because I want to give you just one moment 
before we go into communion, before we begin to sing. Are you hearing his voice right now? Like the Holy Spirit, are you feeling within you that these truths, that it's almost like you're the only one standing in the room right now and he is just so boldly declaring these truths over your soul? Don't let this moment pass. Believe. Believe. Guys, this song that we're about to to pray out together in song, before he spoke creation, the God of heaven knew our name. He knows you. He's speaking to you. And guys, with the cross, he proved he's on our side. He, he knows you deeply, completely, and he's on our side. So Jesus, those, those things are true. What we just read, it's true. Lock these truths into our soul by the Holy Spirit, Lord. Help our unbelief. Help us to believe what you've spoken to be true and change us. Supernaturally change us because the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ right now, Lord. May some go from alienation into being birthed into the family of God right here and right now because you supernaturally know how to do that. Some who, who have known you, Lord, who have kind of switched off the Holy Spirit, they're just in, in grit, self-determination. Look, nope, not in this moment. Back to reliance. Back to faith. Back to trust. Back to receiving your love. Oh, Lord, thank you for communion that reminds us again that you went to the fullest extent to show us the extent of your love. And we just receive it. With glad and sincere hearts, we receive it. We pray in Christ's name.